1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Guy Bauer. He is founder and creative director at Umalt. He is helping companies get the message out, get their message to their audiences. And one of the key ways they do that is through video. And I'm fascinated to talk with Guy about that, really understand how it can be used as someone who produces a lot of video themselves. I always find it it's a really powerful medium if you can get it right and you can, you can get the message right and you can communicate it to the right people. Uh, and I'm really interested in seeing how Guy is working with folks on doing that. So with that, Guy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So before we dig into exactly what you're doing with folks and, and you know, helping them to get a message out and using video, let's get a little bit of the background. How did you get into this work? What was your professional background? Give us a little of the story. Sure. I've
0: been a video dude or a video guy uh, <laughs> my, ever since the seventh grade. We all had to do a uh, a project uh, in the seventh grade, about Ricky Ticky Tavi, and most of my classmates made dioramas and whatever you do in seventh grade. And I had the weird idea to make a video. And this was 1993, so there wasn't the easy access to tech. But my yeah. dad did have a VHS camcorder, so we went in the backyard and made Ricky Ticky Tavi. And the thing, though, is that we we were able to lay music dub music over uh-huh. the entire piece. And so when I played that for the class, it was like I was Steven Spielberg to them. <laughs> <laughs> you were like a first music video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was hooked to that feeling of bringing people joy. So my um, career took me to – I worked in a little bit in TV, a little bit in film, mm-hmm. and a little bit in radio. And never really did video as a profession. It was always my hobby. And so I always did video to entertain people. And in 2009, I lost my producing job on the radio Mm -hmm. and I started freelancing with this talent I had. My first gig was for 50 bucks to edit a guy's puppy video. So, you
1: know, do you still have it? Can we put a what? link in the I, show notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't save it, and I also didn't save the Ricky Ticky Tavi video. I, uh, I over, I taped over it with an Aerosmith concert. <laughs> which, well, priorities, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to a teenage kid, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was never a marketer. I always came at it from a: Is this entertaining? Is this funny? Does this make you cry? Does it make you feel something? And so when I started doing, you know, the puppy video, but then it slowly escalated. And then I found myself doing work for pretty big brands. And I could never understand, put my finger on why they loved my work so much. And it was only after years of doing it, because I had that kind of amateur in me, I wasn't a pro marketer. Mm-hmm. It was only after years of reflection, that I was like, oh, these videos are entertaining. And the key word in the marketing business is... It's good creative. I didn't Mm -hmm. even understand what that term was. But that's the reason why people and brands really gravitated towards the work I was doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, as much as we're, kind of talking about business and trying to get business messages and content across and stuff, we're still dealing with people, right? And pe- people like to be entertained, right? Like, like they have fun. They like to be, you know, shown something that has some kind of wit or insight, e- even if it's kind of business focused. Uh, and I think that's I think something we lose sight of a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I like to say that as especially as marketers and especially the place I play in B2B, is there's this kind of assumption that everyone's wearing their suit or their professional clothes at all times. Mm-hmm. And that if to be taken seriously, you must use boring language and adult language, uh, drive results through cross-platform engagement solutions. I mean, all, <laughs> you know. And so we feel like we have to speak like that. And that's how no one talks. No one comes home. No one wakes up. No one goes to bed in their suit. No one wakes up in their suit, right? Yeah. In between wearing our suits, we're watching Netflix. We're seeing who won the game. And dare I say it, we're, you know, cursing and saying, using blue humor and stuff like that. There's So it's like this um, false assumption that brands make that they must talk to the
1: suit wearer exclusively. Yeah. No, I like it. So so tell me how the kind of the company formed and how you've grown. I mean what are the things you've learned over time and in terms of getting to where you are today?
0: Yeah, the big thing was not understanding the creative dynamic. So I started in 2010 with that $50 puppy video and and grew and grew and grew and it wasn't until 2018 that I looked around and I had brilliant video makers, brilliant, but we weren't really focusing on the creative and I was – because I couldn't see it, right? And most of my customers couldn't see it. See, I started with the – I started with, well, how do you make a video that's good? Step one, make a video. <laughs> but yeah. it's like the Steve Martin joke. How do you get a million dollars? Step one, get a million dollars. Um I never understood that actually a great video is a two-step process and neither did my customers. And I was discounting step one, which actually is the most important step. And step one is the idea. Step Mm -hmm. two is make it. And what most brands do and what I was building my business for was what most brands do is they – so say they were building a custom house – Instead of going to an architect, most brands go directly to a general contractor with no plans and then hope that the general contractor can kind of, as they build it, kind of figure it out. But usually if you do that, you're going to end up with a house that – kind of may or may not work and most likely won't right mm-hmm. you need the architect the architect doesn't build anything the architect imagines and dreams and thinks and is well versed in you know nature and whatever you know they're they're coming in it from an art background and the general contractor takes those plans and and builds it and i was discounting and my clients were discounting that very important step 1 which is the strategy and the idea and the creative Step 2 is the production. So in 2018 we made a we were always a video production company and in 2018 we became a video marketing agency and put the priority on the creative. And that's where I think, you know, a lot of brands and then I found that, you know, there's so much of this corporate video, this quote-unquote corporate video and that's a an, corporate video is just another way of saying boring video or lame <laughs> video, you know and that's and then i started realizing the pattern. Oh, that's why so much corporate video is being made cuz people are going directly to the makers instead of the thinkers. So that's why I reprioritized and it's been an uphill battle to be honest with you be, to change some minds, you know? Yeah. Because so many people just want to press record. They want to get their video now. And my whole agency is like, whoa, hold on. Let's spend six weeks thinking and sleeping on it and putting our feet up. So, but I feel like it's the only way to make effective work. It really is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As someone who was trained originally as an architect, I appreciate your analogy.
0: <laughs> is it accurate? Actually, I've, I've never even like researched yeah, to no, see absolutely. if it's <laughs>
1: accurate. I, I, I always said one of the interesting things. So, I always draw an analogy between architects and conductors because they're, they're both kind of key to the creative process, but they don't actually, they don't build the building, they don't make—they don't actually make the sounds, right? They're orchestrating, they're coordinating the activities of others to, to create a fairly complicated end result, right? You know, in architects, we're, you know, drawing and sketching and, you know, writing specifications and stuff for someone else to execute on. The same thing with the conductor, right? They're waving their baton and, and cueing music and things like that to help the orchestra come together as a, as a uniform piece. So I think there's, there's really some sort of good thinking around you know what is the idea what's the intention what's the what's the structure how mm-hmm. do we tell a story around this I mean all, all that stuff is is stuff we think about in architecture so you know I'm curious as as you kind of realized there was this need and and there was a lot of this boring video out there you know corporate video how did you actually approach the market I mean wh- where did you choose to focus your services, who ended up hiring you, how has that evolved and changed over time?
0: Yeah. So in the beginning, when we were a video production company for all intents and purposes, we would do anything, right? So we would do a shoe video next to a software as service Mm -hmm. cloud migration provider and just kind of do everything. And then as we kind of flipped that switch and I saw the patterns, I think that B2B has a harder time with the putting the creative first than B2C. I think B2C is, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that it should entertain and that you have permission to be weird, funny, cool. Mm -hmm. B2B, it's a lot harder to make that shift. So, And I also saw not a lot of competition in B2B. I think there's a lot of agencies that are resigned that B2B should be boring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just uh, just the facts and spots and videos with scripts that read like bulleted white paper sales sheets, right? So we started getting the message out to our current clients. And to be frank, we lost a bunch, right? Where yeah. they were like, listen, pal, I just need a video. <laughs> yeah. But actually the clients who believed it and by believe, I mean, they always had this belief that there was something wrong, that you know there is something better, that they can elevate their brand a different way. And so I started finding that there were our message was really resonating with a select few of our existing, clients who are, you know, B2B marketers. And that's really, that's how I knew we were onto a good position because, you know, when you try to be popular amongst all, right, you'll, you're a master of none or whatever the right analogy is. So I found that when we switched our messaging and our positioning and our point of view, and we have a podcast called Death to the Corporate Video. So I don't know any, (laughs) I wrote a book, Death to the Corporate Video. I'm very adamant about this. So we lost a few clients who were like, you know, there's nothing wrong with corporate video. But To the ones that had the same belief we had, we became indispensable and we started getting these reactions of like, yes, you know, and let's do it and go big. And it's worked. It's worked big time. So that's how I know the way to go because B2B organizations are usually not really marketing or creative marketing led. They're usually led by more scientific engineer folks who put a real emphasis on the activation side of things right cost per click cpm you know cpa yeah. all these things that we can measure very scientifically because when i go in and say well let's spend a lot of money on this thing that in 3 years will you'll start to pay off it's rory sutherland from ogilvy you know that's like going up to your ceo and trying to sell them a magic spell right like magic beans it's <laughs> yeah, just not exactly. going to work it's really hard yeah so that's why you know we're trying to get the message out there and and use logic to make our argument and um you know, and uh, we're doing okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I think strategic is really interesting. I mean, one of the things I focused on as a strategic coach is really try to impress upon companies that if, if you want to really you know command a superior price and and scale really efficiently, you've got to focus, right? You've got to focus mm-hmm. here on a on a core customer. You've got to focus on a core set of products and services, and you need to differentiate, right? You need to be different in the market, and a, and a really good differentiating strategy should should create raving fans. And it should create, you know, people that run away, <laughs> right? People that, have, you know, have want to have nothing to do with you, right? Because you, you should really take a, a pretty strong position, and you know that's going to polarize your your audience, right? And that that's not a bad thing because it, what it's going to allow you to do is, you know, a it's going to it's going to attract more of the people that you really do work well with, right? That are, you know, highly profitable, they're a pleasure to serve, that are, you know, help promote you in the industry. But it also means that you're not going to waste time with those people that really are not interested, right? So, and I think people get very scared of the fact that they're going to cause a whole bunch of people to run away and lose sight of the fact that, you know, that also allows a whole bunch of people to actually flock to you. So, you know, kudos for kind of figuring that out and taking the stand. And it's, it's not an easy one and it can take kind of an iron stomach to get, to get through it but it is it's a key part of strategy. I'm curious as you kind of figured out this core customer and you started working with them, how did you kind of figure out your secret sauce or how you were like how you actually went through the process. I mean you mentioned that, you know, key part of what you do is actually some thinking and actually some creative work around it. How did you structure that? How did you kind of design the engagements and design the way you work with clients to effectively deliver on on your you know what you were promising from a brand point of view. Yeah, it's a great question. I a ton of experimentation
0: and I find it's it's codifying. The stuff is there and what you have to do is just put it on paper and make it a checklist, you know, like a pilot does before they take off. Mm-hmm. And I found you know the other way is every time we don't follow our process the engagement always goes sideways. And so it's just this this mantra now that we have that you must follow the process, you know, follow the same way that pilot, you know, when when Sully was mm-hmm. hit by the birds, the first thing they did was take out a checklist, you know? And 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 that's what we see as You know, we must follow the process at all times. How do we arrive at that process? I just have to say organically kind of how nature Mm -hmm. uh, evolved into humans. It's just we try little things, see how it worked. I think also what we do is a lot of – we do post-project – I forget what they're called. Retrospectives (laughs) or um, postmortems, yeah. Yeah, postmortems. There you go. So we actually use the ARMY's framework.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah. After-action reviews. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we found that so many problems, when you, when you confront the problem of, you know, why did this happen? There's always a, th- a step you can put in. All right, well, if we just ask this small question early on, that would mitigate this going forward. Yeah. And so I think it's pattern recognition and, and having lots and lots of conversations, and that's how you build the process
1: yeah, I mean, you're hitting on another one of my core principles, which is a continuous improvement, right? Like developing a culture of continuous improvement and figuring out how do you, you know, reflect on the past, you know, the recent past in terms of what worked, what didn't work, and how can you bake in, you know, better... You know, better questions, better checklists, better, you know, steps that are going to you know increase quality, remove defects, you know, address issues uh, sooner rather than later, prevent issues altogether. I, I think that's key. In fact, I I don't every single one of my clients, you know, when we're looking at strategy development, strategy execution, you know, the whole culture of continuous improvement is, is a core kind of foundational initiative that we put in place. Um, any I guess you know as as you realize or as you as you do these you know after action reviews, the the retrospectives, is there anything that you did, you know, culturally or how you set up those meetings or, you know, how you sort of created a safe environment to actually have those discussions? I think a lot of times, particularly in service companies where there's, you know, there's a lot of people involved and, you know, mistakes happen and, you know, people can get a little defensive. People can get, you know, embarrassed. You know, sometimes it can be difficult to talk about some of this stuff. Is there anything that you've done that have helped, you know, being able to kind of overcome that or, or create a space where people can really talk about some of the issues they have, even if it's a little sensitive?
0: Yeah, and actually, I believe you can download the ARMY's framework just google it and they have copy in there that instructs you to list what happened in a non-accusing voice you know (laughs) like they actually tell you and and the way i see it is the more you make everything a checklist then it doesn't seem like an attack or a one-off scolding of someone because it's you have to go through this this process and i think the other thing is what they the army's framework makes you also you know half of it is devoted to what went what went right yeah and if someone is on your team you know or I would say in business in general we're so focused on what's not going right you know when someone asks you hey Bruce can I have feedback on this document they're assuming you're just gonna tell them everything that's wrong <laughs> exactly. right and that's what we assume right when uh-huh. when I work with editors I don't list out all the things they did right. I just pick out the four things they did wrong. So 100% of my feedback is what they did wrong. Yeah. And that can make people feel bad, right? Yeah. Now, the Army's framework, because it's checklist-based, makes you list what people did right. And so I think as long as you balance the good and the bad. And the other thing is, I know that there's this whole thing of a uh, – I forget what they call it, but I have kids, so an S H I T sandwich, <laughs> where you, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the feedback sandwich, yeah. Right. I yeah. think that that's a bunch of BS, to be yeah. honest with you, because yeah. I know I think people know what you're doing at this point, and they're yeah, you're, they're exactly. like grasping for the a good thing, yeah. so that you can hide the bad thing. The army's framework is not that because you're following an instruction, and so everyone is in the room; they see it on the. The board, right? They see what we have to do. We have to list out all the bad things. Now we have to list out all the good things. And I think when you do it like that, everyone kind of lets their guard down. Sure, there's, you know, you're never going to 100% get away from the defensiveness. And sometimes I'm defensive. Yeah. You know, because especially in creative work, this is our soul. You know, we're putting out there for money. It's really hard. It's taken Mm -hmm. me years to not take this so personally when a client kind of doesn't like my idea you know um but i think if you do it that's why i really love checklists i love traction eos i like anything that can be put in i love asana Uh so asana gives us all the tasks to do and when you take the passion out of the feedback process then you can actually get to clarity i think
1: yeah yeah, it is. It's um it's an interesting one and I, I deal a lot with this when I'm when I'm working with teams and you know things come up and mistakes happen and, you know, there's conflict and we have to resolve these things. And And I would agree on, on one hand, we need to find a way to be able to kind of, you know, tease out, separate out kind of the, the facts from the emotions and, you know, the, the, the bias that we bring to these things and the perspectives and, and things. On the other hand, I also found that you have to deal with the emotions at some, at some level, right? Like mm-hmm. expecting that someone's going to be able to show up in a meeting and never get defensive is is not super realistic but if you can acknowledge that hey look we know people are going to have an emotional reaction but let's understand or, or let's acknowledge that that's an emotional reaction let's process it as an emotional reaction and not let it get in the way of, of still you know being able to look at the facts and be able to get to real insights and, and find you know engage in discussions that might be difficult but could lead to real improvement you know it's really that art of, of teasing out Like I, I always joke that half half my job as strategic coaches business model and positioning and the other half is therapy right just <laughs> helping, helping that team, helping that leadership group, you know, engage in that stuff because it is, it, it can be difficult. So tell me a little bit about the business now in terms of, you know, the strategies you're working with, where, where have you found video to be, you know, particularly effective from a communication tool? You know, there's, you know, on one hand, I think it's a really unique and interesting tool. On the other hand, there's, you know, there's so much video. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the stats are. but like, producing, you know, a, a 10 years worth of video every five minutes or something mm-hmm. like that these days. You know, but how, like, how are you actually applying it? What kind of companies are you working with and, and what is the effect? Yeah, I think the stat is
0: 80% of overall web traffic is video. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, that's kind of misleading. That's just due to the video's size, yeah, right, exactly. in megabytes. Yeah, yeah. but. Our clients are typically well. They're all in B two B, and they're typically in mid, like small to mid sizes, and they're usually marketing something that is complex in nature. Usually, it has to do with AI, cloud, digital transformation, change management, all of these kind of really or complicated financial products like trusts. They're really not that easy to explain. And so – and our typical client also has a sales force as well, right, that has a lot of – they probably – they have a lot of services that they can apply, a lot of therapies that they can apply at any given moment. And so to think that these sales folks can have everything memorized is kind of silly. So our clients have to enable their sales team, sales enablement, and then they also have to do external marketing. And what we found is that video can kind of very efficiently go across the organization from sales over to marketing, you know, from social media, external brand awareness stuff to in a room presenting in orals for a $100 million engagement. Video kind of works over that whole course. And yeah. the simple answer is that it's it's easier to watch a video than it is to read. And yeah. if a video is well done, it can tap into areas of the brain that can get an emotional reaction out of your audience. Yeah. And the big misnomer is that B2B is exclusively a rational play. And that is just, I I mean, I wouldn't be the first person to try to disprove that, but (laughs) um, it's just not true. It's not true. There's probably more emotion in B2B sales than there is in consumer. The B2B Institute came up with this report that, you know, like if you buy a banana and it's a bad banana, you've risked 59 cents, not much emotion in a bad banana purchase. Exactly. If you mess up your $100 million cloud transformation project, you're going to lose your job and potentially your career. (laughs) To think that that person doesn't have a bunch of emotion around that purchase is crazy, right? So videos properly done across the whole sales cycle, the sales funnel can do things Like inspire early on. So inspire someone to take action, an early stage buyer to inspire them of the possibilities that can happen. And then as they get closer to closing, it can reassure them that everything is going to go Right, and everything's going to be okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly find it's funny. I one of the reasons I got into video so much as a coach is as much as you know it was really important for me to have you know articles in Ink Magazine and having you know published content and case studies and you know really well crafted logical, rational arguments about business and business strategy and execution procedures and all this kind of stuff, I realized that in terms of the process of hiring a coach, you know, fundamentally it's no like and trust. Right. And I could have all the credentials in the world, but if I don't connect mm-hmm. with uh, you know a leader, with a CEO, with a founder, you know, at an emotional level, if they don't feel like, hey, this is someone I, I really want to work with and honestly that I'm really willing to be open and honest and really vulnerable with, that I'm not going to get very far. And so video for me, was was a way to really kind of just communicate who I am and how I show up and my energy and and it was it was such a game changer in terms of, you know, then when I started talking to people that had seen some of my content, there was so much farther down that process of kind of getting to know me, who I was, my kind of thinking, my style that you just can't get from the written word. And so it's one of the reasons I focused on it. And I think it's one of the great vehicles for service companies where you don't you you don't have a product. You don't you can't ship them a sample. They can't touch and feel it. It is all about the interaction and the relationship you're going to have. It's a great way to actually communicate that. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the points that you're making, but it's also just, like I said, sort of the energy and how you show up and your style that people are going to connect with and it can make a big difference.
0: You're exactly right. I read somewhere that people will remember 5% of what you present them, but 100% of how you made them feel. Yeah. And so a lot of brands, what they do is they give an onslaught of information in their videos, assuming that everyone's taking notes. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, no one's taking notes on your videos. You're you're (laughs) onslaughting them with too much information. I think what you're getting at is you gave them a feeling. Video can embed a feeling into your prospect to make them feel something. And once there's that feeling, it's almost like how a bird imprints with (laughs) – Mother, you know, mm-hmm. that the imprint is made yeah. and that, and it builds up a layer of defense against your competitors because they have not bonded with your prospect like
1: you have. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why you saw the results you did. Yeah. Yeah. Guy, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? You could
0: check out our website, umalt.com, U M A U L T.com. And we set up a A special page for uh, Scaling Up Services listeners, umalt.com slash S-U-S. There's links to our free guide, Seven Ways to Avoid Making a Corporate Video, our podcast, Death to the Corporate Video. And we have a a free masterclass that's really free, like no email needed at all on
1: um, telling your B2B brand story with video. Awesome. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes so people can get that. God, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Bruce thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.